0: Uh, If you want to just maybe leave your Bibles open, um, you might need to come back to that in a little bit. Um, We are in this Advent season talking about what it means to move forward from me to we. And and this seems a a particularly appropriate book. Ephesians is Paul's letter to the church um, in Ephesus where he sort of in a beautiful, powerful, unique way lays out what it means to be the covenant community of God. And it seems to me that in Advent in general, and in this Advent in particular, that's a relevant theme for us. And so, we're going to read through Revelation. I'm sorry, Ephesians over the next uh, few weeks. And I know we're going to go kind of fast. So every time we um, worship, we're going to do a whole chapter. I know we're not going to get to all of it. We're going to try to hit on some of the key points. Uh, but I, I just love this book. So I hope it speaks to your hearts in this Advent season as it speaks to mine. Uh, we begin um, with the uh, Um, maybe the thesis of Paul's letter to the Ephesians in verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's kind of where we're going to mostly focus this morning. So I, I wonder if you've ever had the experience of getting picked last. Uh, This happens sometimes maybe when you're a kid, maybe in gym class or on the soccer field or on the basketball court. Uh, In sixth grade, my uh, PE teacher, whose name I don't remember, um, had a a habit of dividing the class up into teams and picking two captains, and then those captains picked the rest of the, the boys or girls on their team. And it was a horrible experience, as, as you can only imagine, right? I mean, there's nothing quite like that dread you experience. Uh, I, I was never one of the most athletic boys, so I didn't get to be picked captain, like, ever, okay? Uh, and you can imagine that feeling of, of standing in a crowd of your peers, and one by one, they get selected. Oh, that's my really good friend. Oh, that kid's really good at this sport. Oh, that kid's really tall. And then, you know, as the herd begins to thin... That sense of dread mounts, and you start thinking just one thing, right? And we all know what it is. Please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. Please don't let me be last. And and I wasn't picked last every time, but it happened, and I remember that experience so well. I remember looking around and seeing, oh, man, there's not many choices left, and I'm still standing here. And I had enough empathy to think, boy, I don't really want any of these other kids to get picked last. But I had enough self-preservation that I was like, if it's got to be, you know, me or them, it better be them and not me. Um, and, and that sense of relief when you finally get chosen, coupled with that sense of just crushing shame when you don't. Maybe because of that experience in middle school, uh, I, I sort of had a personal rule when I was doing youth ministry that I, I would never divide kids into teams and have team captains if I could ever avoid it. Uh, and in those few situations where I couldn't, uh, I made a rule that I always got picked last, right? And usually this was like at some middle school camp somewhere where you know, I might be the most athletic person in the world, but I was faster than a lot of middle school kids or stronger than a lot of middle school kids. But I said, no, 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 um, I will always get picked last. And I gotta tell you, even then, right, even as an adult with a group of teenagers where I have mandated that I'm gonna be the last person picked, even then I felt a little uncomfortable. Right? Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you've had the experience of being picked last in school. um, Or maybe you've had that experience in other places in your life where you feel like everybody else gets ahead and you get left behind. Or everybody else gets to move forward and you're stuck where you are. Where everybody else gets chosen and you're just left over. And maybe that's why this letter is so powerful for me. That Paul is writing to a community in Ephesus um, of of people that knew what it meant to be leftovers, of people who knew what it meant to be picked last. He's talking to to slaves who were literally owned by their masters. He's talking to women who, up until this Christian revolution, weren't even allowed to come in and be part of the worship in the sanctuary of their synagogues. He's talking to children who were considered to be, uh, at least in the ancient world, not really even quite human yet. He's talking to Jews and uh, a Gentile-dominated culture, and he's talking to Gentiles and this new religion that is still really a Jewish religion that they don't understand very well. And to all these people who feel like they got left out or left over or picked last, Paul says... God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. God chose us. Imagine reading this as a female Gentile slave in a house church in Ephesus and hearing that God chose us. Imagine reading this as a a Jewish minority in the great metropolitan city of Ephesus And and hearing that even though you can't participate in so much of the pagan normalcy of their culture, God chose us. And and that that promise that that God chose us to be His covenant people isn't that He just did it yesterday or today or that it happened a few weeks ago. Um, God chose us in the beginning, right? Before we were born, before Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, before the formation of the earth God chose us. That's an incredible promise, right? It means that we are not leftovers, right? We are are the first picked. We are the ones that God has claimed as his own. We are God's chosen people. That's what this whole book of Ephesians is about. It's about um, what it means to be God's chosen people and, and how we live into that incredible calling and promise that before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Christ. So, this morning, I want to talk particularly about one component of what it means to be God's chosen people. And that's this idea that He chose us in Christ. If you've still got your Bible open, um, you can just skim the page for me. If you listen as we read, hopefully you heard this. Again and again and again in this chapter, we hear the language in Christ or in Him or in the Beloved. It's in almost every verse. Right? Verse 4, he chose us in Christ. Verse 3, he blessed us in Christ. Verse 5, he, adopt, he destined us for adoption through Christ. Verse 6, he bestowed grace on us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Uh, and Again and again and again we get this language of in Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean that God chose us in Christ? It, it's kind of a weird comment, actually, um, Because we don't usually talk this way about other people. At the time that Ephesians is being written, Jesus' biological brothers are are still alive. James, for example, is is running the church in Jerusalem. And nobody says, um, I have faith in James, or I believe in James, or I'm redeemed in James. At the time... Jesus' mother is understood to still be alive and nobody says um, that they are in Mary or in Peter or in Paul. You know, we're Presbyterians and John Calvin's the founder of our tradition and Martin Luther, the founder of, of the Protestant Reformation, but we don't say we're in Calvin or in Luther. So what does it mean that we're in Christ? I, I think what Paul wants us to understand is that when God says he chose us, it's not just that he chose us individually. In fact, it's not even primarily that. I don't know that before the foundation of the world, God said, Jim Gates, I pick you. I, I think Paul wants to say something different. I think Paul wants to say that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was the chosen one. Jesus was always God's plan. Before the covenant with david before the ten commandments before abraham's covenant with god before adam and eve in the garden before the world was created jesus was always the plan that was always the way god chose to go he was always the one god chose and and somehow we get to participate in being the chosen people because we are in jesus and, and to be in Jesus means to recognize Jesus isn't just a regular guy, right? He, you, you can't be in Peter, you can't be in Paul, you can't be in Calvin, but you can be in God. And in the earliest days of the church, they understood that Jesus was more than just a man, but he was God in the flesh. And, and because he was God, because he was infinite, um, we could live in him and move in him. Uh, even the pagan philosophers say that, right? That in God, we live and move and have our being. And so we get this interesting idea that we are in Christ and chosen because we are in Christ. Uh, I'm going to give you the the heady theological talk and I'm going to give you the really dumbed down Jim Gates version of this idea, okay? So the heady theological talk comes from a guy named Klein Snodgrass and he's trying to wrestle with what it means that uh, Jesus as God is so big that we can live and move and act in Him. And he says this, God's purpose in election, God's purpose in, in claiming us and choosing us, takes place in Christ. God's grace and redemption are found in Christ. All things in heaven and on earth are sewn up in Christ. People hope in Christ, hear the word in Christ, and by, by faith are sealed in Christ. The most important use of in Christ refers to a place, an incorporation into the person and, and life of Jesus. That is, that Christ is the place we believers reside, the source in which we find God's salvation and blessings, and the framework in which we live and work. It is as if Christ was a vast repository holding the gifts of God, but of course without losing any of the sense of Christ as a person. Christ is the source of all spiritual blessings, and because believers reside in Him, they can enjoy those blessings. Just as Christ's personhood is not lost, neither is the believer's individuality lost. Rather, Christ and the believers are bound into a unity in which Christ sets the parameters for life and makes available God's provisions for life. This is why Paul says it's like a body, right, that, with Christ that we live in. Uh, so I, I, this idea of being in Christ is really profound. I'm going to give you, like, the unbelievably simple version of this, right? Like, this is kind of embarrassingly simple, and if this is a bad il- illustration, it's because I stole it from somebody else, okay? Um, so this is a uh, soccer ball, Right? And this is a basket, right? This soccer ball represents us, and this basket represents Christ, okay? This is going to be complicated. We're in Christ, okay? Now, um, I want you to notice a couple things that are really important here. First, this is still a ball, right? It didn't become something different. Actually, maybe it's a basketball now. Sorry, okay. Uh, Still a ball, right? The basket's still a basket. And when we are in Christ, we don't stop being ourselves, but here's something else that's really important. Whatever happens to this basket now happens to this ball. And if I put it down, I put the ball down. If I pick it up, I pick the ball up. If I move it around, the ball moves around. Whatever's true for the basket is true for the ball because the ball's in the basket, right? I know that's really simple, but this is how it works with us in Christ. Now, I'm still me when I make my home in the person of Christ and the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the power of Christ, the peace of Christ, the redemption of Christ. Um, But whatever is true for Christ is now true for me. Which means if Christ is dead to sin, then so am I. And if Christ is risen to eternal life, then I am already living the eternal life that I have begun that will never end. And if Christ is in right relationship with God, then so am I because I'm in Christ, right? Whatever is true for the basket is true for the ball. So uh, this is an unbelievably profound idea, uh, and I want to think about some of the implications of what it means uh, that we are in Christ, that we are chosen in Christ. Uh, The first is that if we're chosen in Christ, we are redeemed in Christ. If we're chosen in Christ, we're redeemed in Christ. In Ephesians 1, we get the language of being adopted. We get the language of being redeemed. We get the language of being forgiven, of being gathered up. All those in Christ. And this idea of being um, redeemed in Christ is really essential. It's not that I'm redeemed apart from Jesus, not that I make my own way in the world and find my way to God, and it's not that Jesus helps me get there a little bit, right? When I I stumble and I fall, He picks me up and brushes me off and, and sets me going again. No, it's that I am redeemed because my whole life is lived in the grace and the person and the peace of Jesus the best illustration um, for this comes from um, the church's understanding of Noah's Ark, right? We all know the story of Noah's Ark. The animals come on by twos into the great giant ship that Noah built and then the flood comes um, and everything in the Ark is saved. You you can't make it if you're not in the Ark, right? It doesn't matter if you're a really good swimmer. It doesn't matter if you find a piece of driftwood. Uh, You know, you got to be in the Ark. And, and the church has always gone back and read that story and said, hey, wait a minute, Jesus is the ark, right? The, the body of Christ, which is the church, is the ark. And we've even gone so far as to, to build our sanctuary to reflect that. A lot of old chapels uh, and sanctuaries, you look up and you see um, there are uh, these buttresses that look like the bottoms of a ship. That's intentional, right? And honestly, I was thinking about this this week as I look at the, the ceiling in our sanctuary, it looks kind of like the bottom of a ship, right? I mean, it's, it's got these beams that, that seem like they might fit right in uh, in the ark. <clears throat> a great story about uh, this ceiling. Some of you maybe already know this, but long before I was here, when we built this sanctuary, uh, a lot of this labor was done by members of the church, and particularly the building of the ceiling, and so uh, there was a team of members that were cutting wood and um, on ladders and scaffolding, um, nailing it into the ceiling. And Wayne Christensen was one of the sort of shift captains running that project. And he was, he was cutting the wood. Uh, and then he had all kinds of, of folks up there uh, using nail guns to put it into the ceiling. And so apparently at one point during that process, uh, Dave Tice, another member of our church, who was working in the ceiling, nailing um, boards into the ceiling, came down and came up to wayne because wayne was kind of the boss and he said wayne i got a little problem and wayne looks up and he sees that um there's a a a nail hole in dave tice's hand because he had shot a nail through his hand with the nail gun and he said uh wayne i i got a nail in my hand and wayne said was it hurt he said well it hurts a little bit uh he says is it bleeding it's only bleeding a little bit all right and he gives him a band-aid he says get back up there and finish your work uh, and, and he did. And I guess Dave Tice is a tough guy. He got up there and he finished the work. Um, I, I, love, I love that image, right, of um, Christ-centered, imperfect people, some of whom are wounded, putting together this thing that we call the church, right, building the ark within which we can be saved, and it's not just us, right? It's that we together comprise the body of Christ. Uh, and there might be a little bit of blood on the floor of our ship, right? And there might be some tears and some sweat and some sorrow. But in this ark, in Christ, we are redeemed. Uh, and no matter how the waves rise, the wind rages, or the rain falls, we are safe in Him. This is so important. Um, hope has to be bigger than me Um, hope has to be about we about what we can do together and what we can do in christ this is not uh, a faith about a bunch of individual life preservers being ditched out on the decks of the titanic this is a faith about us coming together in the ark of god in the arms of god in the person of jesus christ and nothing can sink this ship So in Christ, chosen in Christ, we are redeemed. Chosen in Christ, um, we are powerful. Chosen in Christ, we're powerful. I I hope you notice this language. I I love this prayer uh, that Paul prays. Almost this entire chapter is a prayer. Um, But at the end, verse 17, 18, and 19, he starts praying explicitly uh, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that our eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which he has called us and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. I love this idea that because we are chosen in Christ, we are powerful. We can do incredible things. Um, uh, Francis Chan um, has a a fantastic sermon he preached on uh, John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, And he kind of gets on this idea of power. I, I couldn't find the branch of a vine okay um, and it's like it's like november in wisconsin so i got the next best thing Uh, i got a branch of a tree here okay um and i I need you to help me with something so um we we just just i need you to look hard at this tree and all together on the count of three i want us to try really hard and we're going to make fruit pop out on this tree okay ready one two three Are are you trying hard enough Okay, that was terrible. Nothing, literally nothing happened. Uh, Okay, obviously we can't do that. I I guess we could, you know, Francis Chan says we could tape some apples on maybe, right? But we we can't do that, right? We can't make fruit appear on a branch that's separated from the tree. Jesus has this same language. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do extraordinary things. Paul says, in him, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength right? That a branch on its own is useless, right? But a branch attached to a tree, attached to the vine, can grow and bear fruit and do extraordinary things. And so for those of us who are in Christ, right, it's not, please listen, it is not the case that every one of us is attached to our own little tree growing on our own little farm. There is one tree, there is one vine, it is Jesus, to whom we are all attached, right? This isn't just a me thing, it's a we thing, And if we're attached, we can do all things. Alone, we can do nothing. So, uh, chosen in Christ, we are redeemed. And chosen in Christ, we are powerful. And chosen in Christ, um, we are bigger than me. Uh, I I love the way that um, Paul ends this chapter. He says... He has put God, has put all things under Jesus' feet, and made Jesus the head over all things, for the church, which is His body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. God has put um, all of us together in the body of Christ. One of the things I think that's challenging for us is we think about what it means to be in Christ, whether it's as a branch or as a ball in a basket or in the ark. It's challenging for us because, as evangelicals, we often talk about Christ being in me. Right? I I have Christ in my heart. And that's not wrong. And that's not unbiblical. But you need to know, it is uncommon. As we read through the Bible, and especially the letters of Paul, it is relatively uncommon that Paul talks about Christ in me. In fact, uh, as far as I know, there's only five times in all of his letters where Paul uses that language of Christ in me. Compare that to the 12 times he uses that language of us in Christ just in this chapter, or the fact that he uses the language of being in Christ 164 times in all of his letters. This is a huge difference. I hope you hear it. Christ in me, or me in Christ. Christ in me means that um, my life is the main thing and Jesus can supplement it and help it out a little bit and make it a little bit better. Me in Christ means that God is bigger than I am and his story is bigger than my story and I find my place and my purpose in him. Um, When he is small and in my heart, I have trouble finding him sometimes. When I am small and in his heart, then everything I see is him. And every person I see is seen through the lens of him. When when I want Christ just in me, um, my faith becomes very personal. And I mean that in a good and in a bad way. That it becomes about me a lot. And I have room for other people, right? A little bit of room in my heart for my wife and my kids and my parents and my friends and my church. But my heart starts getting full pretty fast. But when we are in Christ's heart, um, there's infinite space, there's infinite room, uh, and there's always room for more. I I hope you noticed that as well, that the we of God in this chapter keeps changing, it keeps growing. Uh, Look just really quickly uh, at verse 12 where Paul says, Um, So that we, who were the first to set our hope in Christ, might live for the praise of His glory. There, the we is the first who set their hope in Jesus. It's the Jewish Christians. Uh, And then verse 13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, uh, believed and remarked the Holy Spirit that you is the Gentiles. But look, um, by verse 14, it's not a you anymore. This is the pledge of our inheritance, toward the redemption as God's own people to the praise of His glory. And there's a new we, right? Just in those few chapters, the we moves from the Jewish believers to all believers. I had the uh, privilege about a week and a half ago, I'm losing track of the days, two weeks ago of um, being a small part of one of the prayer teams that met with our Hearts of Hope families as they came into our church to receive their winter coats and boots and hats and mittens. And if you've not done this before, it is a really cool thing. So all these families are scheduled over the course of three days. Uh, They come in, and as they're welcomed into our church, uh, there's someone who greets them, and then they're escorted into a room, and they sit down with their prayer team, and we confirm that we have the right sizes uh, for the kids' clothes, and we have the right gifts that the kids are going to want. And then... Um, we offer to say a prayer for them. Most people say, yeah, we'd love that. And if they say yes, we say, how can we pray for you? And I got to tell you what an incredible gift it was to sit there uh, in one of the rooms of our CE wing in our basement and uh, talk to families I had just met and have them share uh, about what was happening in their life. Their their kids were in the room, uh, so sometimes they were surreptitious about what they shared. Uh, sometimes they had great joys to celebrate. Uh, sometimes it was clear um, from the little they were willing to say that, that life was really hard. And then uh, we'd say, Can we, let, let's, let's pray right now. And, and almost every one of those moms or grandmas or, or dads or grandpas turned to the kids and said, Okay, kids, make your praying hands. And we bent down and we talked to God together. And in that moment, where there were once strangers, um, there was family. There was a new, a new we for us. Not just me anymore. Not just Jim and his nervousness about whether he'll say the right words or uh, offend someone. Or, uh, But there was a we. We came before our Heavenly Father together. It was an incredibly sacred thing for me and a reminder for me um, that that's the promise of God that we who are chosen in Christ are chosen not for ourselves we're chosen to be part of something bigger than ourselves and to invite others in Isaiah says it like this Isaiah says that there is a highway and it shall be called the holy way for God's people no one shall go astray no wild beast shall come upon it but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and righteousness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And we know where that highway is, right? Because Jesus said, I am the way. And it's in Christ that we're on the way. It's in Christ that we're on that highway that we have that privilege uh, together of becoming the people that God calls us to be. In Christ, me is always becoming we. Uh, and as I think about um, what it means to be in Christ, the, the bucket or the church building or the vine uh, or that, that sacred time in prayer, it reminds me uh, that God's desire is that more might come to be a part of our family, right? That, that God's not done yet. Everyone in God's heart will get picked first in Christ. That's what He wants. That's what He calls us to be a part of. That's what this Advent season is about, right? About us recognizing not only are we chosen, but we're chosen to go help others come in to Christ. So I want to encourage you uh, as, as we go through this season, as we read in this book uh, of of paul's letter to the ephesians as we reflect on what it means to get ready for jesus to come back to to find yourself chosen in christ to locate your life in him to recognize that it can't be just you and him it was never about being a lone ranger christian That there's just one vine and we're all attached to it Uh, that that it's not just about christ being in you but it's about losing yourself in the grander story of jesus and however wounded or broken you might be, there's a place for you in the ark. There's a place for you in the ship. And there's room for more. Uh, I want to end with um, my, my favorite prayer by St. Patrick. Uh, and it, it, for me, it captures what it means to be in Christ. But I'm going to change it a little bit um, because Patrick says, Christ with me. And, and I think Paul would have us say, Christ with us. Um, here's Patrick's prayer. Christ with us. Christ before us. Christ behind us. Christ in us. Christ beneath us. Christ above us. Christ on our right. Christ on our left. Christ when we lie down. Christ when we sit up. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of us. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of us. Christ in the eye that sees us. Christ in the ear that hears us. We arise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through a belief in the threeness, through a confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Wherever you are, you are part of we, and we are chosen in Christ, and Christ is in God. Thanks be to Him. Amen.